again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any booking, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. Recently named one of the top 9% of innovative, small and mid-sized enterprises around the world, Booking Protect has a proprietary customer service platform that is unsurpassed anywhere in the world. To find out how Booking Protect can partner with you to help you provide your customers a better buying experience, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how you can create a new stream of revenue for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. Now, my guest today is a good friend of mine, Brian Ralston. He is the president of the Lake Erie Marine Trades, which is um, the trade association that protects, uh, that encourages boating on Lake Erie um, and boating throughout Ohio. Uh, Ohio. You can find all kinds of stuff that Brian's up to if you follow the hashtag on Twitter, Ohio Goes Boating. The hashtag Ohio Goes Boating. Um, I wanted to have Brian on because Brian has a long history uh, in sports business. He worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Lake Erie Monsters, the Cleveland Gladiators, Quicken Loans Arena um, for many, many, many years. He is a former... Um, I think he was the president of the team or director of group sales. Um, you know, he was involved in all kinds of stuff with the Cavaliers and all the teams in Cleveland. Um, what's interesting for me and probably for you is that I wanted to have Brian on to talk about, you know, how some of the experiences, some of the things he learned in sports business have shaped him in his role now. I also want, I'm always curious about how people who have left sports and moved on into different areas, um, what they learned that they could bring back to sports. Um, I'm also curious just like how he would translate some of these experiences and the combination of all the experiences he's had into a new role if he was going to move back into sports. Um, you know, and I wanted to get his perspective on, you know, the differences between, you know, or the similarities and differences in working in sports and politics and all the things that may, that happen when you're working on a trade association. So enjoy my episode, my conversation with Brian Ralston. Brian Ralston, welcome to the Business Fun Podcast. What's up, my friend? Hi, Dave. How are you? Great to be here. Oh, it's nice to have you. Um, I think people are going to learn a lot from you today because um, if people aren't familiar, you used to be heavily on the team side and now you you moved off to safe boating in ohio um and but you're still keep your you still keep hanging around sports and i like to as much as possible bring people on sometimes to add a different perspective who maybe have um you know been in sports or been in entertainment and kind of moved into a different sector or a different part of the industry because i, I think the lessons that you learn when you kind of um operate in different areas, I, I think they're really valuable and I think it's something people don't necessarily have exposure to as readily as they should. So uh, I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, great. No, I appreciate that. Uh, so let me, let me talk, let me, let's start out pretty simple. Um, how can we save boating in Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not so much about saving boating in Ohio, but it is it is uh, it is about you know growing uh, the boating industry and and really you know making people uh, more aware of uh, of the opportunities to get out there and enjoy you know time with family time with friends uh, time with business associates and 
thinking of of boating as a uh, another avenue in which in which people can do that. So that's uh, a big part of our focus is just uh, is just getting the getting the word out, building you know building the the industry and the 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 brand or the recre- recreational activity of of boating. We're fortunate in in Ohio to have obviously great access to to Lake Erie and other waterways throughout the state. So um, it's a fun it's a fun activity and a fun uh, uh, fun thing to be a part of. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. And you know, I was joking about saving boating in Ohio, but because what I know, you know, we talk fairly regularly. And one of the interesting things about your job to me is how much it mirrors what you did in sports. Whereas, like, you have to understand that, like, you're not necessarily selling an activity; you're selling an experience. And when you're selling an experience, you're selling something that. Um, doesn't necessarily always lay itself out to, um, you know, easily measured statistics or uh, growth numbers. And a lot of times you're selling a feeling, you know, so how has your, did your experience before you've, um, you, you got into the boat, the boating area, uh, impact what you do now? And what are some of the things you've learned from being in boating that you think you would have been good to have when you were in sports? Yeah. So I think actually one thing that, that was interesting as you were talking is um, the idea, uh, maybe it's a sort of a, a, a difference between how we sort of position uh, sports and entertainment uh, events uh, and then how you position boating, right? When you talk about, you know, one of the things we hear consistently uh, right now in sports is you want to be as connected as possible. You want to have that app. So when you walk into a venue, you can be, you know, connected and, and, and peppered with offers for discounted food and merchandise and being a part of a community and all those things. So it's that, that desire, you know, that, that we think people have to be, you know, completely wired around a, a team or a, or a, or a band, um, 24 seven. And when we think about boating, we actually look at it and say, you know, boating is an opportunity for you to to disconnect a little bit and spend some quality time with your family and not worry about what's going on on your iPhone or what's going on, you know, back at back at the office. So it's kind of a, a maybe an interesting thing to think about um, if you're if you're thinking about, you know, why does someone go to a baseball game? Um, maybe they go to a baseball game to relax and hang out and, and, you know, build some memories with their family and friends. And we think boating is, is the same and, uh, it gives you that opportunity. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty interesting thing that you brought up too, because it's true, right? Everybody is kind of married to data. Everybody loves data. Um, I know from my experience, my conversations that even though we all talk about data all the time, how much of it do we really know how to use effectively is probably a lot less than we really want to admit. And you said peppered with offers, right? Constantly connected and peppered with offers. And the interesting thing to me when you were saying that is, is that true, right? Do we really want to be connected all the time and peppered with offers? You know, and so when you you describe boating as such, you know, that, that rings true to me. Um, do you have... You know, and maybe you don't have this. Has have you seen any data, or have you developed any data that shows, um, you know, what people actually want or look for, especially as it relates to boating? Yeah, I think I think the the industry as a whole is going through a process of figuring out how to how to reach a, a wider audience um, and figuring out how to reach uh, a, a younger audience. So, how do we transfer? Um, you know, people that uh, are, are 
older, maybe they're nearing retirement or, or in retirement and they've been voting their entire lives. And how do we transfer that, um, that experience and, and the education that goes along with it to learn how to vote to the younger generation? So I think, you know, the statistics are, suggest that, you know, the millennial generation is either is or is soon going to be one of the largest in the workforce. Um, and so from, from, from the, the voting industry's perspective, it's taking a look at that group and figuring out, you know, what, what is it about voting that um, uh, can be very attractive to that audience and not just, you know, um, you know, cruisers, but kayaking and paddle boarding and all the other water sports that, that, that tie into that. And so again, I think for, for, for our group on the, on the boating side of things, it's, um, it's presenting that as the experience and the opportunity um, rather than thinking about, you know, all, all of the ways that we can connect electronically. Yeah. And what, again, you know, as you speak, I, was, I find some of this stuff interesting because it sounds like the challenge that you're dealing with, right, and educating, uh, you know, millennials or younger generations about the pleasures and, you know, and the experience of boating is something that really – it parallels greatly the the bat and ball sports, right? You know, um, because yep. these are things that I don't necessarily know. Uh, the conversations that I don't necessarily know are being have, you know, that people are taking the time to have, right? Because it sounds like, hey, well, how do we make sure that they engage? How do we make sure that they're taking action? How do we make sure that the, the people are being exposed to this, you know, the activity? In your case, boating. Um, early on so that we can make sure that they begin to develop a love and a connection to what we're offering so that it becomes a lifelong uh, oppor- you know, activity and a lifelong opportunity for us. Right. Um, you know, yep. or am I, am I off base when I, when I say that, when I make that assessment? No, I think it's a great assessment. I think that's, you know, you asked about parallels, but like, I think if you think about, um, you know, whether it's boating or you think about uh, a team sport, baseball or, or basketball as an example, you know, the, the, the real upside is to create a, a lifelong relationship, right? So if you own a, uh, a baseball team, you know, how can you uh, capture that audience when they're kids and make baseball something that becomes a tradition in their lives, right? Something that they want to be a part of uh, every year and create those memories. And it's, that's where it's very, very much the same thing. It's like, how do we get people to make uh, time and, and, uh, and, uh, and the investment in getting outdoors and being out on the water. So very, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and let me, well, let me ask you this too, because, you know, again, I've, um, tried to, I think, you know, the episode with Lauren Teague, that was pretty early on in the podcast. I think it was, pretty, it was a pretty good example of me having a conversation with someone who's in a similar position as you, who kind of was heavily in the day-to-day sports side and then went and did something a little bit different and learned some really valuable lessons. So let me ask you this, you know, are there like one or two or maybe even three things that you have learned in your role now that were kind of surprising or that you wish you had known when you were working on a team side or in, inside of, you know, the league office or in sports? Well, I, I would say that um, I, I think the idea of, of long-term planning um, is, is pretty critical to any organization. And I think, you know, when you're, when you, when you're on the, uh, the team side and let's say you're selling tickets and you have such a heavy focus on what's going to happen, you know, over the next 10 games or before the end of the season. And, and that, that makes, 
sense, right? Because everybody's up against budgets and goals, and there's a lot of pressure to to hit those short term um, those short term uh, metrics. But I think, um, and, and I, you know, we're we're going through this um, in creating boat shows. Um, we have to look at it over a longer over a longer term. So how do we uh, how do we create things that are going to have value? you know, five to 10 years down the road and, and, and really balance both balance, certainly the, the short-term pressures, um, but also make uh, decisions and, and sort of purposeful activity that, um, that, that will benefit, you know, the, the organization, uh, you know, 36 months down the line or, or five years down the line. So I think that's one, one area um, that, that I've learned, uh, learned on, on this side, sort of, working in, in, in the, in a more traditional business. The other uh, part I think is just working with, um, in our group, we work with business owners. So we've got a hundred, you know, members and uh, the vast majority of them own their own businesses. And there's a lot to be learned from uh, working with people that, um, you know, that the buck stops with them, right? So they, they, they own the business, they, they employ uh, a lot of people and, you know, everything is riding on their ability to, to get the job done. So I think there's a lot to be learned from um, in terms of how to go about uh, and how to approach business um, just in having that exposure and working with people that are doing that every day. Yeah. And the long-term planning thing, I know that um, that's something that I, I, I've talked about a lot because I feel that the job hopping that goes on in sports business is bad. Right. Because every time you have to change, train up a new employee or somebody leaves to go to a different organization, in a different city or whatever the case might be, you basically have reset your long term strategy. Right. And you have you, you basically have lost all institutional knowledge. Right. So the continuity thing, you know, that's always something that's been fascinating to me because it seems that you can't have a stable uh, business if everybody's always leaving, you know, and, and you see it over and over again. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of the, the worst, uh, tactics and strategies that get employed, uh, in the selling and marketing of sports come specifically because of this. So it's interesting to hear you talk about long-term planning. Um, and then more, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's a, a, a blanket statement, right? Like some people, you know, some movement is great and you get new ideas and, and fresh blood and all that kind of stuff. And that's really, really positive. Um, but you definitely do lose, you know, um, you lose out on the upside of, of, of your talent if you're not keeping them for more than, you know, two to three years, right? Because um, anyone who's, who's, you know, started a new job, um, in a, in a new industry or, or, or done something different, you know, you, you learn along the way, right? So the first, you know, that first cycle of, of events that you go through, um, you, you learn something and then you apply that to the second one and then you apply that to the third year. So I, I always look at it on the, on the team side of how do you sort of, you know, get your group to, um, to, to, to put together a plan and focus on what we can do, um, to, to grow over, over a, you know, call it a three to five year period. Right. Um, because I think, as you said, the, your, your ability to, um, your, your, your success in, in, in outcomes, right. is going to increase, um, based on the, based on what you've learned and the hardest part or not the hardest part, one of the challenges is to, to always be recruiting. But if you're always have to, if you're always backfilling, 
um, you, you are, as you said, kind of starting over again. So I think that's a, a great opportunity. You know, when you look at the, the sports industry an opportunity for, for growth. Yeah. I've been advocating for a while now and nobody, nobody has seen me. Well, actually I take this back because it does seem that like maybe people have been paying attention because I see people starting to implement some of my ideas. Um, does that mean they necessarily came directly from me or like they just came from somewhere, uh, related to me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's probably like the most egotistical thing I'll ever say on this thing. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but you know, one of I have been advocating for like a, you know, give people more of a career path, right. Um, going forward. And I think, you know, we need that because there, you're absolutely correct when you say that there does need to be some sort of, you know, an injection of new blood from time to time. Um, you know, what percentage of that is wise or unwise, you know, who knows, right? But I do think that when there is this turnover, right, like of your inside sales force, um, you know, of like 95, 99% every six to 12 months, to me, something about the business model seems broken, right? And um, the question I want to ask you is I had a, there's a podcast coming up in a couple, maybe a week or so with a guy, a friend of mine from the UK, a guy called Ian Taylor. And he always asks about why are Americans so sales force, uh, sales focused. And the implication of his question was that like, haven't we heard about marketing and do we, and I, and it's true that we are probably much more sales focused in the States than other parts of the world. And my question is, is like, maybe do you think we are kind of training and incentivizing uh, success and uh, measures of success in the wrong way? Yeah, I, I think in some ways, you know, that, that's correct, right? And I, and I, I think that sales, sales and marketing um, can, can be interchangeable terms, right? Sales needs marketing and marketing needs sales and they're, they're both a little bit of each other. I, I would say that, you know, in terms of the, 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 the team side and, you know, that, that entry level group, um, a, a, if, if you bring that group in and, and there's a, a plan for their development, uh, and, and they're growing into, into greater roles over time, I think that, um, that, that that will lead to, a, to, to a lot more success. Um, for for the individual as, and and also for for the the team that employs them. So there's a little bit of a I think the you know you talk about in the United States versus other countries. I, I don't know if it's it's everywhere, but um, here here I think there's a little bit of a you know copy and paste approach, right? Like if everybody's doing it, then you know let's just keep doing it and and not necessarily you know challenge and and look at ways to innovate. So um, I think that that's probably uh, an opportunity uh, is to look at, you know, okay, when we bring in uh, a new class of 30, you know, how do we uh, make sure that uh, they're going to, you know, influence the organization for, um, for a, for a longer period of time, instead of just sort of refilling that group year over year. Yeah. There's two things here, right? It's, it's, so the first thing I'm going to touch on is the idea that marketing sales are interchangeable. Which, if you ask me this, and I'm sure you probably have asked me this, so this is going to be more for the listeners than for you probably, I would tell you, and you know, again, you being the universal you, that marketing should drive sales, not sales and marketing are interchangeable. And I think that like looking at marketing as sort of um, a reactionary or a tactical thing is one of the big challenges to you know selling and 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 really business stability because. Really, your marketing thing, it goes back to that long-term planning thing that you were talking about earlier. 
that should be something that does build and grow and kind of have ebbs and flows over the course of several years. Uh, I mean, you know, so that's like, that's one thing that's interesting. And I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, how, you know, why you feel that way and kind of like, you know, ha- you know, have your views of, on this kind of evolved over time. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, how, however you want to phrase it, but I think, you know, marketing probably where, where, where I've seen, you know, opportunities in, in, in having marketing, connected to sales I, you, you see in some organizations especially i think in ticket sales where the ticket sales you know group is doing one thing and the marketing group um is doing something else and i'm and i know that this has evolved over time and there's there's been you know uh, a lot of a lot of improvement wins but um i would think you know a a a sale so say you got a salesperson that's really focused on you know, growing youth sports, or maybe it's, you know, growing boating in a different industry, whatever it might be, you know, how do you have marketing that, um, that is, that is influencing and supporting their ability to go out and, and, and build the relationships and sell ultimately, um, those, those types of, of opportunities. So I think that's probably, uh, you know, rather than to say that they're, they're interchangeable, but I think they they have to, they have to communicate and have a, have a, have a, very solid connection between the two because oftentimes uh, you'll, you'll see uh, sales reps and ticket sales sort of doing, doing their own thing. Lots of great ideas. If you've got a sales team of 30, 40 people, uh, there's a ton of great ideas that are buried amongst that, uh, that group of 30 and they're, they're, they're not amplified um, because they're not tied or connected between what's going on on the sales side and what's going on on the marketing side. Yeah, no, that, that, that that's a good explanation, you know, and absolutely the thing that marketing should be connected in some kind of meaningful and measurable way to sales that, you know, I couldn't say that any better, right? Because, I, you know, I think probably one of the marketing's um, challenges is sometimes the marketers don't communicate their value very well. Well, they get caught up in explaining what the new hot buzzword or new hot topic is, and they don't under, they never get to the point where they explain the unique value that marketing creates. So that, I mean, that makes complete sense to me and being connected to sales, I think would give marketing a lot greater um, power in the organization, which I think probably would be helpful. Um, but the second thing I wanted to ask about too, which is something I, I know that we've talked about probably every time we talk is the copy and paste approach to uh, the business model of a sports business. Um, you know, and it's really interesting to me and it's, and I don't know if I'll ever get an answer. And I don't know that when I ask you the question, you're going to be able to give me a good answer either, because I think this is like, maybe like the, um, if we could figure solve this, we would be like, uh, we would be super, super rich and we'd buy our own team. Um, but <laughs> in an industry that's built around competition, <laughs> You know, why is it that everybody seems to be like so unwilling to, you know, to compete, to do better? They just like, oh, well, if this person's doing it this way, regardless if it's effective or not, I'm going to do it that way as well. When it would seem like as competitive as everybody is, we would all be trying, working so hard to best everybody else. And that would hopefully create new ideas and new opportunities, but it doesn't seem to happen. What say you on this topic? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's, there's probably a couple of things here. One, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with borrowing an idea, right? Like, so, you know, you can be more efficient, especially, especially if you're in sales, like it pays to look around and see what's working elsewhere um, and then try to figure out how to, 
implement that. Um, but I think, you know, one of the challenges when you've got a lot of people selling is, you know, they're getting, um, they're getting, uh, just all of these directives from all these different angles about what, what they need to do. And so if you think about, you know, you hire somebody that, you know, has a, you know, has, has been through schooling and maybe has a little bit of experience and you're, you're sending them out there to, to, to build a, a book of business. Um, and then you, basically tell them everything they need to do and exactly how to do it. Um, I think you're stifling uh, creativity a little bit, right? So um, the, the challenge to the, to sort of copy paste and doing it, doing the same thing that, you know, they may be doing elsewhere and, and just trying to keep up with all that is that you, you end up, you can end up spinning your wheels and not building your own sort of, you know, your own sort of mindset of how to, how to, to, to grow up relationships and revenue and, and sell tickets. I think that's the, um, the challenge there. And then outside of the whole, you know, outside of ticket sales, I think, you know, every, every venue, whether it's a concert venue or, a, or an arena or a stadium, you know, I, I always look at it and think that it should be a unique experience. And I think, I think we've seen a little bit over the last decade or so where, um, the, the look and feel, um, can be very similar, uh, wherever you may be. Right. So, that that that's probably what you're alluding to in terms of, you know, cop, a little bit of copy and paste. So I, I'm all for uh, the, the creative, um, uh, the creative side of, of of selling and and that learning process that an individual can go through um, when they've got the time and sort of the autonomy to, to to build something. I think the 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 strength of that individual as a as a salesperson um, is going to be much greater if they've if they've gone through that process and 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 they're probably uh, very, you know, excited to to build something on their own, and uh, and then be able and then be able to share that with others who can then, you know, copy and paste, so to speak. Yeah, no, th- I mean that that was great, and you know, the idea too that the thing you brought up, and I hope it didn't come across as me saying, oh, you have to, you can never steal an idea and apply it to your own situation, because I think that probably uh, the best ideas come from looking out at the world as it is. And seeing what's happening around you and going, well, how would I apply that to my situation? And what would that mean if I applied it to my situation? And then just figuring it out, you know, and knowing completely well that not everything's going to work, you know, and being like, it's totally fine to ch- change your mind based on like new information, right? There's no, um, exactly. It's not a failure to change your mind or to like learn something new and change what you're doing. I mean, that, that in, in reality, that's probably great. That's probably what we should be encouraging. The second thing, though, about this that was interesting to me was that you were talking about creativity and about how it becomes pretty easy for creativity to be kind of shut down and stifled. Knowing you've been in positions where you've managed staffs before, you know, um, how would you, you know, you know, having the experience of working, you know, outside of day to day sports now, how would you work with your team to encourage more creativity and give them a little bit free, uh, more autonomy so that they could be creative. Well, I, I think part of that starts with not, not bring, not being afraid to fail and giving people a platform to, 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 to try different things. Right. So it, it's a cultural thing, right? Like if people, uh, if people are, are focused on, on what, what can they do, that is going to make the business better uh, over time, then they will, you know, step away from, you know, w- whatever is on, in their, you know, on their, on their 
plate that day and they'll say, hey, let, let, let's think about, you know, six months down the, the, the line. Let's think about the following, you know, season and campaign. And, and what steps could we take right now that that are different that might influence the outcome in the future? Um, so I think it's 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 recognizing and rewarding uh people that have success with new ideas, people that bring uh, new concepts to the table and then go out and implement them. Um, and then I think it is, it is sharing that, that those, those ideas, right? So creating an environment where, where we, where you talk through, Hey, this is something that is, is, uh, is new and, and here's why we think it could work. Um, and then going out and, and doing it. So I, I would say it's, it's comes down to um, people believing that they've got that sort of uh, freedom um, to, to build something. I think that goes a long way towards, uh, having a more, you know, innovative and creative environment. And what's interesting about this, right. And, and maybe this is like really going to be like super technical for people too, is that you talked about rewarding new ideas, right. And a lot of times, and I know there's certain teams that do this better than others. Um, they're rewarding or encouraging behaviors that are just easily, um, measured, Right. You know, uh, spray and pray, we say for, you know, is like kind of a joke for a reason, <laughs> you know, and, but I, and I don't I don't really buy into the punitive stuff. And as um, if people, if you've had an opportunity, I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to James Andrew Miller's uh, podcast with Nick Saban, but Nick Saban talks about we only should be punishing to get a change in behavior. Other than that, it's just like a waste of time. Um, but it feels like some, in some ways and forms. The spray and pray is, you know, just kept around and like still encouraged just because it is easy to like both measure and punish, right? Like, well, you're not making your, your calls. You, you, you're not crushing the phones today, right? Um, and But you talked about rewarding new ideas and then sharing these new ideas. And one of the ideas that comes back over and over in like my research and my conversations with people all in different industries is not just rewarding new ideas, but rewarding, you know, just ideas, period, even the ones that don't work. Because you talked about like understanding that, not being afraid to fail is very important, you know, so how do you, you know, from your point of view, how do you encourage both, both new ideas, but then you also incentivize uh, um, bad ideas as well, because you need, you know, I think the best way to get a good idea is to have a lot of bad ideas. You know, so how do you, how would you encourage this? I have a lot of bad (laughs) ideas. So, you know, it's a great point. I mean, you have to, you have to keep trying, right? So, you know, failure is short term and you, you, you pick yourself up and, and and try again and uh, i think your you know your your comments on the i think you called it spray and pray and whatnot but um you know that that is as you said it's easy to uh to measure you know some of those metrics you know phone calls and emails and things like that it's a little more uh, it's a little bit trickier to look at uh, a large group of people and understand that you've got unique personalities, unique strengths and weaknesses, um, and then sort of work with those, uh, work with each person individually to, uh, to capitalize on, on, on their strengths. I think that is a, you know, that's a, an area where, um, you know, doing a little bit more of that, um, as, as a leader, it, you'll educate yourself, right? You can, you can understand what is actually working, um, with, with, you know, salespeople that are out in the field or, or, or on the phones, um, so, uh, taking, taking that, uh, more, more of an approach of, of understanding, 
um, and and maybe a little bit less of the you know the the, the metric based based approach um, might be you know might be a a great way to to look at things. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like that idea that you know you, you do have to measure things right because you can't just um, yeah I think it's a, a Peter Drucker idea what you know get what gets measured gets done it might not be but you know that's true to an extent and my question to everybody is always like. But are you measuring the right things or are you just measuring what's easy? Exactly. I think that's a good point. It's like it's it's almost like this, you know, obviously we have the the the, the, the influence of analytics over the last you know, probably five to ten years has, has been tremendously valuable to, to every business. Um, and I think, you know, but your your point is, well, what are the what are the things that, you know, that you're looking at? And that that that's probably an area where there's more, more work that needs to be done. Um, in terms of, hey, it, 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 let's take a look at a at a successful, you know, revenue producer and analyze how they spend their time. You know, how are they identifying leads? How are they, you know, prospecting? What are they doing? You know, when they go out and meet with people, what's their follow up uh, approach look like? And then pulling that pulling that data uh, back and then applying that to you know, other, other parts of the business or sharing that information with people. So, you know, the conversation would, would then be more like, Hey, here's our, here's our best producers. And here are the key, you know, traits or, or characteristics or things that they do um, that are leading them to be successful. And I think if you provide that type of information um, more often, uh, that's a lot more effective than, you know, someone saying, and, and you still have to, you still have to measure everything, as you said, right? So you still you still measure phone calls and you still measure emails and and things like that. But that stuff, you know, can be displayed on a dashboard with like a click of a mouse, right? So what's a little bit deeper than that is the is, is the is the, the the more specific or the more the more valuable information of of what someone ought to do. And that if you're a sales rep, you know, what are you looking for? You're looking for for ideas to help you uh, do better, you know, be better at your job and and produce more revenue for the organization. Yeah, the and the analytics, you know, the influence of it is obviously profound. And what I've found, right, and this is a hypothesis I've floated to a lot of people, and I don't, you know, some people are, you know, maybe iffy on it, and, but a lot of people are like going, you know, if I think about it, it, it does make sense, which is that it seems that we've skewed the utility of analytics because I feel it should be used as a tool to help you create a hypothesis and test the hypothesis, right? Like, so I'm going to run this campaign. I'm not sure that it's going to work, but what I want to do is test it. But instead, it seems like all too often analytics is just used like, well, we just collect all this data and we analyze it and we allow that to make our decisions. And to me, that seems like it could lead to a lot of faulty decision making because you you're not necessarily, I mean, you do find out what people have historically done, but you don't necessarily, but if that's bad, then you're stuck making and repeating bad decisions. Whereas like if you have an idea and like you go, well, let's test this idea using, you know, using data or you're collecting data based on the idea. I think it would encourage you to make 
better decisions, right? And I think maybe, you know, again, this is a hypothesis, <clears throat> that too much of what is being used as far as analytics goes is meant to relieve people of the having to make the tough decision or having to, uh, you you know, really make some tough thinking decisions, right? The, you know, the hardest work is thinking. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you feel right. about I- that. Well, I think you're, I think you're right. I think, and I, I think you'll probably see in the next 10 years, you'll probably start to see a- analytics influence, um, more in terms of, of, of how, how decisions are made. Right. But right to your point right now, it, it may be a little bit of, you know, trying to, you know, they pull all this data and then trying to justify, um, using it. Right. As opposed to, as you were saying, you know, let's, put the, put the business minds together, come up with, you know, uh, uh, an idea and, and, and take that and work with the data that you have and, and sort of hypothesize. I think you're, I think you're right on that. end. I think there's, you know, definitely room for improvement. And I go back and I'll, you know, kind of go back to the, to the sales person, you know, if you're selling, you know, sponsorships or, or tickets, you know, and you've got a great analytics group that can, can give you, um, you know, solid, uh, information. Um, I think that, uh, solid information that's going to make your, your day or your, or your, or your life in general easier. Uh, I think that's sort of the next, uh, the, the next, uh, opportunity in, in, in the world of, of analytics and how it, how it meshes with, with the revenue side of things. Yeah. It, it, it's like an interesting thing because I mean, I know, I mean, I, you, you measure things, I measure things. Um, but it just seems that in too many cases, and this is not a sports or entertainment specific issue either. It's just like, um, it, it, it reminds me of that cliched saying that you never get hired, fired for hire, for hiring IBM, right? Or you, you know, you see an influx of MBAs in an organization because you're not, you know, you can't go wrong if you hire Harvard, a Harvard business MBA, right? You know, that kind of idea. And so, you know, when I look at analytics, I go, I think the same mindset has taken root. And I think in the short, you know, in the short term, it harms businesses and organizations and it, it keeps them from being as effective as they could be. Um, you know, and that, that's sort of just what I've been finding. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you're, I think you're definitely on to something there. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, one more question before we get out, we hit the road. Um, how can people stay in touch with you? Well, you can, you can certainly, uh, reach me via phone or, or email or, or go to our, our Lake Erie, Marine Trades Association website, but um, I can give you uh, a phone number, 440-409-6744, and uh, you can also uh, go to the website, lemta.com. Okay, awesome. Well, Brian, man, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, um, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you again to my guest, Brian Ralston, from the Lake Erie Marine Trades. Find his hashtag on Twitter at hashtag Ohio Goes Boating. As always, you can visit me on my website, www.davewakeman.com, where I blog daily about all kinds of things related to um, creating opportunities, expanding your market, and generating revenue. You can also visit me and follow me on Twitter. That's at David Wakeman. I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'd love to connect with you. If you're so inclined, if you have a question, an idea, a comment, a suggestion for a guest, you can email me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. 
At that same address, you can also email me and ask me for my newsletter, The Business of Value, which comes out every Sunday and talks about all the ways you can create opportunities for you and your organization. Finally, if you like what I'm doing on the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, and, uh, and uh, several other services. Um, once you get there, if you'd leave a review, that'd be awesome. All of these things help people discover us and help move us up the rankings, and I really do appreciate it. So until we speak again, take it easy, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.